welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We've fully reached off-season mode when the entire show prep was just us shooting the crap to each other about nothing and then going, what the hell are we going to talk about? What happened? I don't know. (laughs) And then pulling at strings to find topics and then just eventually going, yeah, we got enough. All right, let's go. Yeah, my my words before you started, you clicked record was, yeah, we can make an episode out of this. We usually do that like May, June every year. So I'm really impressed that we're already there now, or that we're there this late. July 7th is when we, we hit the wall, which is that's fantastic. And generally, most of these episodes really go off the rails and end up being longer episodes. So we'll see. We'll see if we can rein it in today. So um, we've been doing this for four and a half years now. Um, we've become. I, I don't want to make any declarations, but one of the biggest you know, team podcasts out there. And, and we are constantly blown away by the milestones that we reach through your support. And actually, after this episode, we are going to reach a mega milestone and we'll post it on Twitter once we officially hit it. Um, but you want to know a true indicator of uh, like, it feels good that we've made it this far. And you I haven't told you this story yet, Brad. Oh, okay. So um, I'm uh, I'm at work the other day and I get a phone call. And it's uh, I see that it's from uh, Olympia Entertainment, and that usually means uh, the Red Wings calling about you know season ticket packages because we've bought some in the past for giveaways and you know, um, and it just doesn't always work out where we do that every season. We still make it to games, but sometimes we buy a package, sometimes we don't. Anyways, I get the call, and uh, it's uh, his name's Andrew, works for the Wings, and he uh, wants to know about uh, if I plan on making it down to any games this year. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, we usually make it down to quite a few. Um, we uh, we do a lot of giveaways for the podcast that I'm a host on. And uh, we usually buy, like, lower bowl or, or mezzanine seats for that. So we usually buy, like, big group seats. He goes, oh, really cool. He's like, you do a podcast. That's awesome. Uh, and he's like, uh, what's the name of your podcast? I might want to check it out. I'm like, oh, it's the Winged Wheel Podcast. He goes, you're Ryan from the Winged Wheel Podcast? <laughs> That's the Winged Wheel Podcast? No way. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Is what like he was very professional with it, yeah. and he's like, my roommate showed you guys to me. He's like, I'm just getting into. I've gone to hockey the past couple of years. He's like, my roommate listens to you all the time. I listen to you guys. I'm, I should be listening more. I've always been meaning to catch. He's like, oh my god. <laughs> I'm sitting there with this stupid grin at work. <laughs> anyway, shout out to Andrew and his roommate Garrick. Thanks guys for tuning in, <laughs> and thank you for making my day. <laughs> That is the best indicator of success ever. Part of me is like very happy that people have that reaction when they find out who we are. But part of me is like also nobody should have that reaction when they find out who it was like that guy at the Sabres game. Yo, I'm subscribed to you. I'm like, we're sorry. Yeah, (laughs) I still have to shake that when people like, hey, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm so sorry. Why? Yeah. (laughs) And then like. Uh, Mel will nudge me and be like, Ryan, that's not how you handle a compliment or that's not how you embrace success. Please, you know, just take it like a normal person. I'm like, uh, thank, thanks for your listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so if any of you ever see us at a game or in public and 
and our response to your possible compliment is very awkward and like out of line. It has nothing to do with you. That's just us as people. It's because we literally started this from scratch as a hobby. <laughs> we um we got like four hundred listeners our first episode. Four hundred fifty, I think it was, and it took a while to get there. <laughs> we uh, well, no, 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 that was our first episode. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. took like oh yeah, a yeah. couple weeks, like um, <laughs> to get. To that point. And we saw 450 and we looked at each other and went, we might have something here. <laughs> Back at 450. And now I think our biggest episode is passing 6,000. And we're just like, oh, uh, we, uh, what do we do with our uh, we, well, our hands? What do we do with our hands? So here's some perspective for you. Now, this reference will make sense to most of you, but not all of you, because it's going to be a little local specific. This is the, the thought I had. Imagine... You're at a Kitchener Rangers game, okay? Mm-hmm. So this is just a junior hockey arena. seats about 7,500 people, okay? that Just for capacity's sake. Imagine after the game, nobody leaves, and they tell you to go to Santa Rice and stand there and talk. That's not far off what we're doing right now, Ryan. Think of how big that arena is. I am not dressed for that. <laughs> I am, The decorum is not there. Anyhow, welcome to the Wind Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. Uh, Evan is currently um, doing some very important work at a cottage in Grand Bend. Did you notice that message? He was like, I have some work to do before I leave the cottage. I went, mm. <laughs> conflicting halves of that statement, sir. He's doing research to find out if his neighbor's garden home's offensive or yeah, not. Yeah, whoa, that was bad. <laughs> Yeah, won't go into detail on that one, but Evan sent a picture of his neighbor's garden gnome. He says, hey, is this offensive? And I went, yeah, tragically offensive. Please break it. <laughs> and then and then I had to... Tra- this is... You guys have already had that exchange when I opened it up at the wedding. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, perfect. A, a birthday gift for Ryan. I said, no, it certainly is not. <laughs> uh, anyhow, on this week's episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, um, and we are back to weekly episodes uh, for those of you who... Um, for like... Two months, probably. Yeah, <laughs> it, it won't be long. Um, we're going to talk more about the goings on of the uh, NHL offer sheet signings, what have you. Um, and then there's uh, it's actually been a rather quiet week, unless you're an NBA fan. Uh, so we're going to be doing uh, getting back to our Red Wings player profile, and then we're going to be doing a Red Wings prospect profile and generating mm-hmm. a little bit of discussion there. Yeah, now that we're past the draft, no, no sense talking about uh, this past draft prospects. So we're going to go to guys who are already Red Wings. I've I still can't get over the fact that with the hundreds of hours that we poured into evaluating prospects that were likely to be Red Wings, we have no standing material from before the draft on the Red Wings first pick. <laughs> well, okay, no. It, we have a lot of material now. No, it's it's worse than that because we did – we had no prospect. We did – oh, God. We had to have done at least somewhere between 15 and 20 prospect profiles, like yeah. in-depth ones, right? And we had probably a, twice that on deck. Yeah, and then we had those multiplayer episodes towards the end, right? No Mort Sider, no Anti Tuomisto, no Robert Master Simone, no Albert Johansson. We had Alvin Greva in one of the multi prospect profile episodes, so we salvaged a little bit, and it was the Red Wings' third round pick. I understand. If you don't, you hit nothing from the second round on. If especially if the the team that you're following. Drafts in a way that um, kind of goes off the board, which the, the Red Wings did from first round onwards this year. Like even 
I think one of their second round picks kind of fit into the consensus. Oh yeah, that's a good value pick there. It's not to say it was bad. Some rankings had Johansson right where he was. So right. that was pretty accurate. Master Simone fell a little bit, so he was ranked higher on most. Tuomisto was Tuomisto. a reach by like uh, 40 picks on most lists. And so what we generally cover is possible first and second round picks. Beyond that, it's just like a throwaway yeah. comment here and there. You, It's okay if you don't hit exactly on them. For four picks in the first two rounds, it's okay if you only hit one. Because that means, well, I mean, like the the reality is, like the, you're gonna get at least one in there. But the fact that we had none in all of that, Robert Master Simone is actually one that we could have covered if we had like ten more weeks of prospect. Yeah, he was on our when we were doing those multi prospect episodes. He was on our short list, but we just didn't for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then and here then. we are. Um, although I have a bone to pick now that we're talking about this draft again, because I saw a thread on Reddit and I swear to God, it's okay. I'm coming around on the cider pick. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and I, I watched him play absolutely lights out for a week at development camp. So that made me feel a lot easier and a lot better about the pick. That still wouldn't have been my pick at that point right now, as we stand, like I'm not going to sit here with revisionist history and say, Oh yeah, no, I would definitely take more cider at six. Everything that Brad's saying right now, just apply it to me too. This yeah. Is spot on. Could I make the case for him as a top 10 pick now? Yes, absolutely. I could. He's he's looked unreal since then, but we're talking fringe. Anyways, there's still a lot of Reddings fans who are trying to justify this pick, which is fine. Like I said, I'm trying to justify this pick because, again, it was such a big reach. But one of the threads I saw to justify it was, oh, there are rumors coming around that Buffalo was going to take him at seven. As if that excuses it. Like, oh, no, no, we had our guy. Like, he wasn't rated. He was, like, rated 12th on our board. But, like, a team at seven was going to take him. So, we had to take him at six rather than take one of the five guys we had rated higher. That's not an excuse. Just so we're clear, guys. Let's – because I'm going to circle back and I'm going to use an example here that that should immediately change everybody's mind on the subject. The last time I heard that excuse was when I saw Ken Holland walk to the podium and go, yeah, well, if we didn't give Justin Abdelkader that contract, another team would have. (laughs) Thank you. Verbatim, he said that. Thank you. So that is never an excuse. If if we all went back to that point in time and said, yeah, well, another team would have given it to him, we would have all said, thank you. Please give it to him. Um, so, yeah, again, I'm not, gonna, I'm not trashing on the cider pick. If the Red Wings legitimately thought he was the sixth best player on their board and the numbers one through five were the guys who went one through five and they picked cider at six, cool. I got no complaints, none whatsoever. You believe he's the best player there? You take him. End of story. I then have disagreements with how your list is ranked, but that's the correct philosophy to take in the draft. If the Red Wings said, well, no, we have him rated 10, but we're not going to get him there. We can't trade back, yada, yada, yada. Then you take the guy that's highest on your list. Exactly. That's it. Like it's, I understand. If you're dead set that he is your guy, like that is your sixth best player better, yeah, take him. I like. Then we'll pop on the podcast and say, "Hey, this wouldn't have been our pick. We disagree. Here's what to look forward to. Here's what to possibly look out for." That's what we did. <laughs> but if you say mm, six isn't a great value for him, and uh, we can't trade back, then it, this isn't like the third round or even the second round where that kind of reaches. Like, yeah, okay, you, you really want the guy, you take him. <laughs> If your only justification is someone else would have taken him and that's coupled with this isn't the value like that this isn't good value for where he is. In my mind, 
And in your mind, the philosophy moving forward is take the actual best player available. But again, this isn't to like like Brad qualified with genuinely. This is not to trash the cider pick. Watching his play has been super exciting. The Red Wings are going to get a possible stud here no matter what. Obviously, there's going to be the comparisons to, um, you know, Cousins and Zegras and everyone else that the Red Wings could have taken, but that's going to come no matter what, whoever they drafted. Like, because again, here's the thing that we have to qualify. We're at no point are we saying Mort Sider is a bad player. Are we at no point saying Mort Sider couldn't be a top two defenseman here? These things are all true, but this is kind of the general point. If I'm going to just use one other player in the draft as an example, if Mort Sider turns into Hampus Lindholm, we're happy. But if Mort Sider turns into Hampus Lindholm and Trevor Zegers turns into Nicholas Backstrom, it's a bad pick. Mm-hmm. That, that's just the way it breaks. Out. Not that he's a bad player. Not that we're thrilled to have him on the team, but it was a wrong pick. Yeah. That's the only gripe I have with this. Now, this could all be wrong. Mort Sider could end up being second, third, fourth best player to this draft for all we know. He could be a legit number two high end defenseman fantastic it's great value but if one of the guys who is rated higher on almost every projection ends up being a much better player it's the wrong pick like now there's times where a guy like david pasternak goes in the mid-20s and massively exceeds expectations you can't fault anybody for that 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 happens guys develop later etc 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 you can't dwell on that but when it's a guy who's when there's players who are consistently rated between three and ten and you pick a guy consistently rated 15 to 20 and if you're listening and saying, well, Brad, if if we end up getting a Hampus Lindholm and uh, Zegras ends up turning into Nick Backstrom, he can't be too mad. We still have a Hampus Lindholm. You'd be correct. Yeah, we, this we would all be, still be happy. This would all be a discussion, a possibly an argument, depending on how heated you are. But it's not like, you know, we'd be screaming for anyone's heads. We would just it would be a, a discussion on draft philosophies, draft value, evaluating how this management or this draft team uh conducts itself moving forward but no one's upset that you have a Hampus Lindholm type on your team none of this it should be applied to Moritz Sider none of this should be you know held against him as the player or the person obviously I mean the guy's the most charming person in the world so that'll never happen but it's just the 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 big point condensed here is if if your argument is someone else would have taken him the retort to that is okay (laughs) Yeah, uh, we're going to move into uh, the rest of the league first before we get back to the Red Wings. Um, not too much has happened. Marcus Johansson signed with Buffalo for two years, $9 million. Boy, are teams ever learning from past mistakes? Yeah, eh? seriously. Where a guy like Marcus Johansson has to settle on a two-year deal sub $5 million when people were thinking that guy might get north of $5 million on a long-term deal after this all shaken out. Mm-hmm. There weren't that many awful contracts handed out this year. There is There is some bad ones. I mean, we didn't even rip the Brandon Tanev one last. Oh, but, God. But, um, yeah, like, teams are, like, I think the Franz Nielsen, Andrew Ladd, Kyle Ocposo, Louis Erickson, Milan Lucic free agent here just, like, r- broke every GM's brain and just, like, okay, we're just going to put our phones away July 1st and see what shakes out. Jim Rutherford is going to, first of all, it, to further your point, um, Marcus Johansson is 28, so for someone at 28 years old to sign a two-year deal is like that is a huge risk by them because really at 28 you should be cashing out yeah, on a long-term deal and apparently it just wasn't there yeah um jim rutherford gm of the pittsburgh penguins is going to be the first gm to bring a team to back-to-back cups to bring them to three cups total in a generation and then leave with a bad reputation i like not genuinely 
I mean, uh, we might have just seen it with Ken Holland, but not genuinely. Like he, the guy is going to go down. He has three cups to himself. He had the, he had the cup with Carolina in 06. But what is that Tanev deal? This is well, since you mentioned Ken Holland, this is kind of the one criticism of Ken Holland that Jim Rutherford for chairs. They've been in the game for so long and so successful, doing everything the way they do it. They didn't notice the game changed and they still overvalue big physical defensemen like Jonathan Erickson or Eric Goodbranson. They value that gritty bottom line winger who's just going to bring energy and chip in a little bit of offense. Justin Abdelkader, Brendan Tanev. It's it's the same philosophies and it's the same approach they've always had. It's just that approach doesn't work anymore. There's it, They're kind of mired by... Not accidental success, but like a lot of very good opportunistic success. Like Jake Gensel turning into what he did was completely unexpected. And what what they were the victim of is being really bad and getting lottery luck. They lucked into Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby because they sucked. Is there a way you can have Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby on your team and not be good? Is that physically possible? It's uh, for basketball fans. It's like having it's better than having Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Way better, actually. Well, relative to the sport, maybe, but basketball players play 80% of the games. So. And a single player can have a bigger difference in the game. I know. I'm just trying to draw a comparison here. Yeah. I don't know why everyone knows who Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are. When you have possibly the two best players in the world as your one and two centers, you're going to be good no matter what. Basically, they have a buffer that mitigates the negative effect of anyone else on their team, including their general manager trying to destroy it from the inside. You know, Gensel turning into the goal scorer that he did. The I don't really understand how you sign. Um, who's the the defenseman? His name's not coming to me right now. Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson to that deal, and then meet like eight months later, you're trying to trade that deal away when everyone at the time was like, "Ooh, that's not a great deal. That's bad. You done. You done real bad." And then you do the same thing with Tanev. You don't need to pay a depth player three and a half million dollars a year for six years. If your success has come from surrounding your megastars, your absolute superstars, the people who are the best in the world at the game with the best talent you can for as cheap as possible, you don't pay money for longer for someone who doesn't even fit into the word talent. There's nothing wrong with Brandon Tanev as a, as a third, fourth line player. I don't know ter- a ton about him, I, but I know for a fact that he doesn't have upside to complement that system. He's a faster Luke Glendening. All right. You know, like... What is that decision? Everyone else in in that division must be thrilled right now, because to nobody have, in that division is thrilled right now. Have you seen what the Rangers and Devils have done? <laughs> and the Devils are going to offer sheet Marner. Not if the Islanders do it first. Oh, actually, I want to talk about offer sheets. It's uh, the whole. There's been a big like hubbub around you know Montreal and like oh it was a waste of their time and they embarrassed themselves and they screwed themselves over. I'm like okay, look, was it a waste of time in the end? I I mean sure. But shoot your shot. I don't. We talked about this last episode. I don't think the valuation was correct there. I think they should have gone higher um, to kind of force Carolina's hand a little bit. I think they were very intentional with how they structured the contract to maybe take advantage of a cash-strapped Carolina, to which Carolina flexed back. And it was a good show. It was very entertaining. Carolina match. That's the way it goes. You know, if Montreal was serious about it, I think they could have gone higher. But they didn't. They didn't. They still shot their shot. They lost nothing out of it. What, they tied up some assets for like a week? Okay. They'll have to wait a week to make another offer sheet, which apparently they did to Braden Point 
who and he rejected it. So it looks like this um, uh, love potion in Tampa Bay that gets all their players to sign very team-friendly deals is still active even after Eisenman left. So Julian <laughs> Breeze was still... He's the magic maker there, truly. Gotta love that income tax. Oh, boy, don't get me started on tax. It's, uh, the amount of tax discussion I've seen in the hockey world is so frustrating because A, like a lot of it's so incorrect and B it's like, how in the weeds are we here where we're talking about income tax? The fact that I know that Nevada is a no income tax state kills me. I shouldn't know that being a hockey fan. I should know that from reading books. The fact that I know what William Carlson's take home in Nevada is versus his take home in Quebec is just not good. I don't things I don't need to know, but I understand there's uh the restricted free agent list is still pretty big. Like a lot of these big guys have not signed yet. None of them have signed other than Aho. Other than Aho for a great deal for Carolina. Yeah. That is the easiest offer sheet I've ever seen match. Like that is a nuts offer, like a nuts value for Sebastian Aho. For five years they get him now for like well under market value in my mind. But you have Marner who's there, and that is the biggest profile case. If you're Joe Sackick or if you're Julian Breezebois or if you're a GM of any of these other teams that have big name um, restricted free agents, you must be over the moon about the Marner saga because it's taken all the attention away. It's taken all the attention away. But how many because the Marner situation is so public and because everybody knows Marner's ask is very high, the negative impact on that for all the other teams, they don't have the attention. But every other free agent's just sitting there watching that going, well, if Marner signs for 11, you bet your ass I'm getting 10 and a half. Yeah, that's why they must have been. It, the whole uh, <laughs> the whole Ajo getting offered less than what he's worth was an inside job just to bring the value down because they knew Marner would offset it. Dubis paid off. Bergevin. <laughs> wow, there's a, what are the lists? So it's Rantanen, Point, um, Marner, Lane, Kachuk, Connor, Connor, Provorov's in there. Provorov, Bennington. God, and we're probably forgetting at least one or two. Zach Rantanen, Fabry Wierenski. Uh, yeah, I started with Rantanen. Did you say Rantanen? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, Timo Meyer signed. Yeah, really good deal for Timo. Only four years. That was. I mean, four years, but you get him for six mil. Yeah, and by then Joe Thornton should, I think, legally be dead <laughs> at that age. There is a lot there. I know people are saying, "Oh, we saw our one offer sheet." Look. A Marner offer sheet, by all rights, likely isn't going to happen because of the price, the media attention, and the, he's a Toronto guy. I think it's definitely come to blows. I don't think this is, you know, been blown out of proportion. I think it's been blown to the exact right proportion, but um, I don't think Marner is going to be the one who's going to be offer sheeted. I think Line a is very liable to be offer sheeted. Here's a guy who, to his own team, has been exposed to having some off ice issues directly translating into his play. He's streaky, and he's but he's pretty much like world-class at one thing, which is scoring goals. There's almost no comparables for that contract, like historically, especially in this generation. What do you pay him? And for how long? It'll be a bridge. Maybe he doesn't want a bridge. What if Montreal... I think he wants a bridge because after the season he came off, he knows if he takes a one- or two-year bridge deal, two-year ideally, because then he'll be getting his next contract with the gambling money, the Seattle team, and the new TV deal. Um. If he has, if he strings together two huge years, like with a guy who basically scored like five goals this season outside of the month of November, I know that's an exaggeration, but still, what does that guy get paid? 
Now, if he strings together 90 goals over the next two years, what does that guy get paid? He's such an anomaly. I I have to think that some of that streakiness does have to fade away and he normalizes into some kind of regular player that we can evaluate. I really can see a team, though, taking a swing and just saying, yeah, we bet he's going to normalize and he's going to score a little bit more consistently. We'll give you five years times 10 mil. I think that'd be a massive overpayment. I think that'd be a hell of a risk. Huge risk. But say someone does it. I mean, Winnipeg has about 22 million cap space and they don't have a ton left to sign. They have line A and Connor, but uh, I think they're they're pretty easy to match. But still, even ranting it, like say someone just, uh, I mean, Colorado now just cleared up all their cap space. You see that? Joe Sackick built a team that's competitive now, competitive in the future, and is equipped to handle these kinds of cap and issues. And I think still has the most cap space in the league right no, now. Oh, my God. I know everyone's like, hey, stop talk- saying nice things about the abs. I'm like, I can't help it. They're doing so well right now. They're doing everything right. And they're in the other conference now. They're eh, There's no rivalry there anymore, really. And McKinnon's fun to watch. So, okay, screw it. Um but here's the thing that people forget with offer sheets because everybody just looks at the dollars. That compensation matters a lot. Like if you're a team like the Islanders or, a, or the Devils and you're getting ready to throw first four, uh, four first round picks at the Leafs, are you really that confident that Mitch Marner is going to take you out of the basement? Like, again, based on everything else they've done, sure, yeah, I, I would bet on them not being in the basement, but you better be damn sure because... We were talking about it before the episode. Remember back in 07 when the Oilers threw a massive offer sheet at uh, Thomas Vanek out of Buffalo? Mm-hmm. And the compensation would have been four first-round picks had Buffalo let him go. But Buffalo chose to match and kept him. Those four first-round picks, I might not have this exact, were Jordan Eberle, Magnus Payarvi, Taylor Hall, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. <laughs> If you're Buffalo and you go back in history, do you uh, do you match that Vanek offer sheet? No, oh, you consider it. And if you're the Oilers, <laughs> do you throw it? <laughs> God, it's, no. Well, I mean, what Oilers GM are we talking about here? I don't even remember which who's. I think it was Kevin Lowe that era. The easiest thing in the world for Toronto would be is if someone offers you to Marner at the max compensation. They'd say, yep, take him. We'll take the picks. Thank you very much. Sorry, Mitch. It's been real, but four first-round picks from a team that has that amount of cap space means they're likely not good. These are two out of Unless four Colorado, right? Two out of four lottery picks maybe. And then even then you're getting two picks from 20 to 30. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing. It's like, if you're a good team and you have cap space, I would throw an offer sheet at everybody just until someone doesn't match because would I give up four 25th overall picks for Mitch Marner? Oh, absolutely. Would I give up four top five picks? God, no. Wouldn't even entertain the idea. And if Toronto gets offer sheeted successfully and they get those four first round picks, I immediately turn around and offer sheet for like line A or someone who's going to come in cheaper. Yeah. Replace them. Won't be as good. Replace them. You have the, you literally have the assets. Yeah. Uh, no, they don't have their first round pick next There's year. There's ways around it, though. I've seen a lot. Like, yeah, they would have to go to Carolina and trade for that pick back. It has to be your own. Mm. Has to be your own. They can make it work. Oh, yeah. If you go to Carolina High, we'll give you insert good player here because we need this pick because we're about to go sign Braden Point. The the last thing I want to talk about with offer sheets is uh, a lot of people are getting frustrated with the talk about them. They're like, this was pointless. This was stupid. Nothing's happened. Offer sheeting's dumb. You guys all speculated over nothing. I'm like, look, this is the only fun we have. <laughs> Hockey as a sport is much different 
than the other major sports. And I mean, I guess you could say that about all of them. They all kind of operate in different ways. But the amount of like, you know, breaking and something that's actually exciting and breaking in hockey is very, very minimal. It means a GM usually made a big mistake when that happens. Yeah, let's not forget in the first 90 minutes of NBA free agency, team spent $2.1 billion. Yeah. And that's I'm not saying I want hockey to be that way. No, I think hockey as a sport is very close to where it should be right now in terms of how it's free agents and movement of players goes. Some tweaks. I have one major tweak that I'd like to see for Team Chaos, and I want them to rip it straight off of the NBA. We'll get to that. Don't keep say soft keep, cap. keep your point. No, I, not soft cap. I'm a I'm the biggest proponent of a hard cap. Oh, thank you. Um, please don't fight against this. Encourage like Mark Bergevin. It was a weak shot, but he took his shot, and it's fine. Didn't hurt anyone. This is what I want. This is I I think this should be utilized more. It's an entire facet of the cap system. It's an entire facet of the CBA that general managers aren't using to their advantage. Use it. Cause some excitement. Stir it up a little bit. Teams are staying stagnant because they're not making any changes utilize it put a put a player out there as offer sheet bait why not and why be pessimistic for the sake of being pessimistic because i was that guy for three months leading up to july 1st saying yeah 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 we hear the offer sheet talk every year it never happens it never happens it never happens i was the guy who was saying i'm like it's been six years since one's been signed it's not gonna happen I was the happiest guy on the planet when I saw that news break that Aho got an offer sheet. I'm like, yes, Team Chaos, let's go for it. This is what we need because it's going to always play in someone's favor. It's not. There's not going to be a lot of win-wins here, but then we get to have all the debate afterwards. Would you give up four first-round picks for this guy? Are you going to match? Is this happy? Oh, my God, they're in the same division. Chaos, they're in the same conference. Chaos, yes. All I want this year is a first-round playoff. I want Carolina to win the Metro this year. Just so there's a reasonable chance that Montreal gets a wild card and they play each other in the first round. Oh, this is what I want. Yeah, that's the storyline you need. Now, branching off the team chaos, here's the one thing I want the NHL to rip off straight from the NBA. Five-year max contracts. No contract can go longer than five years. There will be more turnover in the league, which means there's more competitive balance, which means if your team sucks, there's a reasonable chance that you can turn it around relatively quickly because all the big free agents in the world aren't going to be like... If every all these RFAs sign eight-year contracts... There's going to be no, not a lot of swing on any major free agents coming up, right? Give me chaos. Give me five-year max. Give And if you're a good organization and you run your shit properly, you should be able to resign these guys. See, the thing is, um, you would the, the biggest change I would want to make right now without digging into it too much is moving RFA status or UFA status earlier so players can cash out in their primes and players are possibly moving in their primes a little bit more. Uh, but yours is a lot more of a dramatic way to achieve kind of the same effect. So I'm kind of into it. Yeah, I think I would dig it. And you know what? You, it would drive the price up for teams for sure. Like contracts would have to get more expensive. But at the same time, you could also get yourselves out of a, a lot of bad situations. A lot of bad situations because you're no longer signing the Tanevs and the Abdulkaders and the, you know, Ericsons and everyone else for a million years. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And then again, because to your point, what's the longest the team could control a player for then? Eight years. Here's your three-year entry level. Let's give you a five-year whatever we can afford contract. And you're walking them right up to, if they're straight out of pick, you're walking them up to unrestricted free agency at age 25, 26 years old. Did you see in the uh, discussions around the next CBA, one team apparently is pushing hard for five compliance buyouts? Um, five. That's 
a hundred percent Detroit. <laughs> it'll maybe never, maybe Los Angeles. <laughs> it'll never happen, but it's basically just a starting point so they can whittle it down to two. If, I'm, and I'm here for it. Could you imagine if the Red Wings had two compliance buyouts? If there's two compliance buyouts, shave a year off the rebuild. Right there. By Nielsen. A year? Bye. Dude, most of the Red Wings' problem contracts are gone in the next two years. If you're telling me you can get rid of Abdulkader and Nielsen's contract as well, <laughs> they should be competitive in two years. Like, legitimately competitive. We can start talking about... Can you imagine all that cap space with all those entry-level contracts? You could pay your stars and still have enough cap space to bring over the Carlsons of that year. Pray for <laughs> compliance buyouts, guys. Pray for them. Pray for them. I love Justin Allocator. I love Franz Nielsen. I'll be sad to see him go, but I will I will be the first one to jettison their contracts to Saturn if I had to. Oh, yeah. It's not about the guys. It's about the uh, the, the number attached, the number and term attached. And name. here's our, our, our weekly reminder. Don't hate the player. Hate the contract. That's it. Uh, okay, let's do uh, Red Wings player profiles here because that's enough about RFAs and pie in the sky. We've had enough of that. Off-season content. Um, the Red Wings player profile. Let's talk about Philip Ronick. Uh, probably the most exciting young player for the Red Wings last year in terms of guys who are still cementing their spot on the team. So not talking about the Larkins, Bertuzzi's, he, he's, he's cemented a spot He's cemented it. But at the beginning of the year, he didn't, right? He had his uh, – the Red Wings had like – 25 of their top six injured and so yep. pretty much the entire starting lineup was uh, Grand Rapids Griffins we were at that game we were uh, and Philip Ronick uh, started the year uh, in the NHL uh, played 20 25 odd games uh, 46 I believe total or to start total yeah, yeah. So Total. his first stint was like the first quarter of the season. Yeah. And uh, he started off hot, but kind of tapered off, had some poor defensive play enough where the Red Wings thought, you know, with healthy guys and a team that isn't exactly competing right now, he could be better served to uh, go back down to Grand Rapids and, and iron out these kinks. Um, so he's um, he's always been a strong offensive player, but they needed him to kind of round out his game and be responsible on both ends play you know 200 foot game as a defenseman it was a little you you constantly have to remind yourself when you're analyzing this team week in week out especially twice a week as we do that they're making broad strokes moves here like they're they're thinking about heronic in the future and they're also acknowledging the fact that the red wings don't need to win right now so when they sent him down in favor of playing like a trevor daly we were like this is atrocious a not developed philip heronic is still better than trevor daly right now but in the end Philip Ronick ended up coming back in the second half or the last quarter of the season and played lights out to the point where we thought, mm, this is the best defenseman the Red Wings have in their system. Um, his offensive game has always been very strong, effective on the power play, effective puck mover in the offensive zone. But then when he came back, played responsibly in both ends. Breakouts improved, his defensive assignments improved, really kind of rounded himself out to the point where we thought, hey, it's looking likely that he'll be a strong second pairing defenseman and he'll probably end up as Detroit's first pairing defenseman and that might not even be too far off his valuation who was it that made the prediction I think it was was it Max when he was on here he said yeah by the end of the this year Philip Ronick will be the Red Wings best defenseman yeah I think he's and I think I agree with it yeah I think he probably already is yeah you might be able to make the that's that's not a good statement to make as Red Wings fans let's just clear that out but it's a good statement for Philip Peronic yeah it's not a bad thing for Philip Peronic but if that's the state of your system it's not great because in the end no that's great for your system it's fine when you can say one of your prospects air quotations is the best defenseman on the team it's a bad statement for the defenseman already on the team yeah 
But we've been here a long time. This isn't news to anyone. Yeah. No. So he's There's a good chance Evan could be their best defenseman right now. I think Evan could slot in as a number five guy. <laughs> Honestly, I think he could. And he plays in a C division beer league as well. <laughs> does, so. He doesn't even play defense, does he? He did when he played for my team for a bit. I think that's just because he was tired. He didn't want to, uh, didn't want to skate, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I still remember when I played hockey, I, I got into an argument with a guy on our team, uh, a centerman, who was, like, complaining about being gassed. And he was, like, he was not in good shape. He wasn't a good skater. And I was a great, like, skating was my best asset. I was constantly the best skater on the ice. And so I would just, like, chirp at him. And he'd be like, you play center for a shift. He's like, you couldn't keep up. He's like, you don't have the legs for it. I'm like, oh, yeah. But I was like, I can skate circles around you. He's like, you still can't play center. It was like a tournament, and we were just like dummying these teams. And uh, my coach put me on center. Oh my god! I made it half a shift. I was gassed as a defenseman. You need legs. It's like playing midfield in soccer. <laughs> you need legs to play center. If you want to be a two, I see why so many centermen are not two way centermen now. It's hard. You get to the red line and look back in your own zone and just go, Ugh, nah. They'll get the puck out. They're good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I understand so much now. Yeah, that. That really motivated me to improve my uh, overall endurance. And I still don't have the legs to play center. I'm going to be real here. It gasses you. See, the trick is, to like, because I play center most of the time, but the trick is to do it in a beer league where no one else can skate. Yeah, just take a couple good strides and just do, like, little hip like hip thrusts and do C-cuts and just glide everywhere. Oh, no, I don't even do that. Like, if, you, if they're coming down on a four-on-two, that's fine. The goalie will probably get it. <laughs> Just glide back for the draw. If he doesn't, that just means you have to score one more goal. It means then I only have to skate to center ice for the faceoff rather than all the way back to our own zone for the faceoff. Um, so overall valuation on Philip Ronick, what does he need to work on to keep getting better? And where do you find his likely landing spot in terms of a depth chart? <laughs> Not Red Wings depth chart. A depth chart. A, I was say Red Wings depth chart. NHL depth he's, chart. He's a top pairing right D this year. Uh, yeah. Game one, probably with Danny DeKaiser. Um, again, Hironic just needs to work on his consistency. There are no weaknesses to his game. That's that's his strength. Is he's good at everything. He was billed as an offensive defenseman, but his defensive metrics this year were, as Max has mentioned multiple times on this podcast. Very comparable to Jacob Truba. Yeah. Better in some ways. Yeah. He was better defensively than Jacob Truba this season, uh, according to most metrics. So, you know, what he really needs to work on is convincing Jeff Blaschel to give him more ice time and convince Steve Eisenman to get him better better defensive partners. Honestly, um, because not to say, like, Philip Hronick's the savior of this team and he's going to be a surefire number one defenseman, but everything we we said about what what Moritz Sider's ceiling could be it's the same for Philip Peronic. He just might hit him this year. That's the difference. Um, now, mind you, Sire's raw tools are better, but Heronic's a smart player. Like you look, the subtleties of his game are what impressed me. One play that I, that really sticks out to me this season was Dylan Larkin's thirtieth goal against the Sabers. That whole sequence was Heronic. The, the initial play that created the chaos in the crease was Heronic not firing a bomb through traffic because he knew it wasn't going to get through. He put a soft pass to the side of the net where I forget whatever Redding was there could pick it up and then further add to the chaos. And after the chaos, the puck ended up popping back to Heronic at the point who just steps into it and he could have easily just taken this puck Nice, soft reception, and then put it over to Larkin uh, where he was for a good shot. And that still might have resulted in a goal. 
But the way he just skates into it, winds up for the full clapper and absolutely fools everybody on the ice. Then when he puts the pass completely diagonally across the ice to Larkin, the goalie was froze and out of position from the chaos he created and the fake he just made. Larkin stared in an empty net with all the time in the world. He truly is a dynamic offensive player. Like Brad just outlined, those are multiple different skill sets that he deployed in a single play. He's not just a good shooter. He's not just a good passer. He's not just a good uh, you know, puck mover or generator of space. He can do all of those in a single sequence or on, a, a, on one power play. If you have that kind of talent and you can get better in other ways, it bodes really well for you as a defenseman. Now, something I want to talk about is we always really kind of hammer home how bad the Red Wings defense has been for the past decade. And they've been a special kind of bad. You know, they've tried their best, but the personnel just hasn't been there. And I guess that's going to be a really stark contrast when you come from an era of Nick Lindstrom leading that defensive core. Um, But the way Steve Eisenman is drafting and building around this team is essentially saying, look, obviously we would love to have a Carlson. Obviously, we would love to have a premier number one defenseman, but that just isn't what we have. So let's work with what we got until we have an opportunity to get one of those. Again, this isn't to say that I would have made the Moritz Sider pick, but look who they drafted in Moritz Sider. A responsible, highly intelligent two-way defenseman. Tuomisto, um, Johansson, all these other guys are highly intelligent players, and a lot of them... Uh, the the biggest part of their game or one of the biggest parts of their game is their defensive responsibility. Oh, your dogs are going off. Is someone home? I don't think so. No, they probably just see something outside. Yeah, the 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 wind blew and the trees going a little bit. They're barking their agreement. They're saying, "Yes, thank you. Finally, someone acknowledging it." Again, these aren't world-shattering players, but they're not trying to make something out of nothing. They're not overpaying guys who don't have these aspects of their games. They see that they have the Heronics. They see that they have the Cholosky's in the system. And they're saying, well, let's get, get them some responsible players to play with. That's why they signed Nemeth. Like, that well, kind of rounds out their defensive core. Now, you never know what's going to happen on Blash Hill's wild ride. But no. It, there, there's no way that the Red Wings' top four to start this season should be any any other combination of DeKaiser and Nemeth on the left and Heronic and Green on the right. Yeah. that This is as steady and as much of a air quotations lock as the Red Wings top four has been on opening night in what five years yeah and still not like it's still not a good it's not good but it's pretty set and then you hope that in camp two guys like Chalosky and Bowie impress enough to they can then be a solid bottom pair that's the hope but if it's not Bowie or Chalosky it could be Daly has Maybe a late season career resurgence because he was once a decent player. Uh, maybe Erickson, never mind. Um, I was gonna- <laughs> Kasky, uh, anybody. We don't know who it might be, but you just hope that you're now having like reasonably four or five guys competing for these last two spots knock it out of the parking camp. And then maybe, just maybe, your defense is passable this year. Not good. But passable, and obviously Heronic will probably be the one that's going to have to lead that charge. Fun stat from last year. Rookie defenseman points per game for uh, players who played at least half the season. Number one, Rasmus Dahlin. Number two, Miro, just kidding, it's Philip Heronic. (laughs) 
I was going to say, I could have sworn Veronik was number two. Philip Veronik had a, a better points per game this season, playing 46 games than Miro Heiskanen. Then Henry well. Yokoharu. You know then what? Then Maxime Lejoie. That really bodes well because he doesn't have a lot of hype around him. By the time his contract is up, he might be get he might be locked in for a pretty good value deal. He uh oh, there's hype around him if you go into the analytics community. Yeah, yeah, yeah but they never decide anything. No, they don't. We don't we don't get any say in this, Brad. You talk you talk to the Mike McCurdy's and the Dmitry Filipovich's of the world. They're 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 fully on the Philip Ronin Heronic hype wagon. Seeing Heronic's um, you know, advanced stats and analytics charted out really kind of brought me to speed on what I wanted with Jacob Truba, which was why overpay him when we have something a similar output yep. for very little. Yeah. Um, so I definitely feel good about not being on that train. Now, mind you, Jacob Truba's already there. Philip Hronick's still getting there. But that all being said, I actually like Hronick's offense better than Truba's. So hot take. Where's the cowbell? Um, we're going to move over to a Red Wings prospect hey, profile. Truba was never billed as an offensive <laughs> defenseman. Uh, Oliver Kasky, uh, spelled Oliver, but definitely pronounced Oliver Kasky, right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, is a, uh, a defenseman that the Red Wings signed out of Finland for one year. And he was getting some attention from across the league. So it was exciting that the Red Wings landed him. And is an interesting project player. Um, initially, I didn't really project him to be a full-time Red Wing. And I still think that it's a project. And if he pans out, it'll be a successful home run swing rather than just a, a surefire thing. Um, excellent offensive defenseman. Has a lot of dynamic play. Joins the rush. Uh, is a good generator of offense from the back end. A really, really good slap shot. Um, can place it very well. Um, it doesn't need to be perfectly positioned all the time. Can kind of generate offense from wherever he is on the ice. Um, his wrist shot is similar. Um, really, really just loves putting the puck on net. Is a kind of offensively minded guy. Um, and for that reason is also very effective on the power play. The thing is, when you have the guy, a guy who loves to join the rush that much, who wants to be the person who puts the puck on the net, he tends to put himself out of position quite a bit defensively. Um, he doesn't, he's a big dude, but he doesn't exactly play that way. So, I mean, he's six feet, 185. He's not a monster. Really? I thought he was bigger than six feet. Yeah, according to Hockey DB, he's six feet tall. Anyways, so he, he's not throwing his body around to play defense. Um, and when he does play defense, he, you know, he tries to be an effective defender through positioning and stick checking and, um, you know, just having the right assignment. The thing is, it's hard to do those things when you're not in the right spot on the ice, which is the biggest drawback to his game. Uh, his defensive game calls a lot into question, takes a lot of risks, is often not in the right spot on the ice, either because of not being great positionally or because he's trying to join the rush. That's the biggest question mark for him. Kind of also a weird, you know, path for him to the NHL because he was pretty much uh, nobody up until last year. And he was almost in Detroit uh, three years ago. Played for Western Michigan. Yeah. Danny DeKaiser's alma mater. He's alma a bron- he was a Bronco yeah. for a season and a game. And while he was there, he was the definition of eh. Yeah. His, his one full year there, 12 points in 31 games. Okay, that's all right. So here's here's the thing about Oliver Kasky. If you wanted to talk about the longest of long shots, here we are, and the, the most unsure of the unsure things. Has a season at Western Michigan, isn't bad, isn't great. Goes back to Finland. His first year in the Liga puts up six points in 36 games. Okay, that's not good, but he was a rookie that year. Acceptable. Then his sophomore year, 16 points in 49 games. Again, meh. He's happy to be there. 
the third year in the Liga. 51 points in 59 games and wins the league MVP as a 23-year-old. Where did that come from? Up until this season, Oliver Kasky was so far off NHL radars, I think they might have scouted my beer league first. (laughs) And then this. So it's great to see that the talent is there and that he put it all together, but he's had one notable year. One. This is it. There's a reason he was never drafted. There's a reason he went back to Finland after being done in the uh, NCAA. There's a reason nobody looked at him after his first two years in Finland. It's because he wasn't good. <laughs> if you want to just be b- brutally honest about it. But he followed those seasons up with an MVP season in one of the best leagues in the world. He's 6'3", 187, says... Uh, oh, Hockey DB needs to update then. Maybe, well, we just could have bad information yeah. here. Um, here's the thing. They signed him for one year, and he'll be an RFA at the end of it. If you're Detroit, what do you do? You start him in the AHL, and you bump him up the depth chart in terms of who gets called up in case of injury because you need to see what you have in this guy. I think starting the AHL is a great way to do it. Um, I don't want to say adjust to the, North, to the North American game. He did play college hockey. Um but just to adjust to professional hockey in North America, he did play in Liga, which is an excellent league, so it's not like it'd be a tough transition for him. Um, if he can come up and have a good call-up, and all of a sudden we're talking about Kasky as a guy on the third pairing rather than a Madison Bowie, and Kasky as a guy who can slot in to your power play rather than you know trying to force Danny DeKaiser to do something that he really can't do very well, the sky's the limit for him. He's shown explosive potential, so if he can round out his game... Now, mind you, he's 23. You're not going to see him... Will be 24 by the time the season starts. You're not going to see him develop leaps and bounds like you're going to see McIsaac or Cholosky or Hironik, how you've seen them develop. That's just a limitation of age and time, and and you are who you are as a player. But he hasn't played in the NHL before, so there's still a a lot of headroom for him. If Kasky can be a third-pairing guy who can slot into your first or second uh, power play unit... Excellent. That's an excellent signing. But what you have to do this year on the one-year contract is to get him as many reps in the NHL as possible, within reason, to see what you have. So I'd say don't start him there. Start him in the AHL. I think that's where he should be to, to kick off the season, especially if you know Trelawski has to play in the AHL, then Kasky definitely should be. But once injuries start to pile up, bring him on up. See what you got. And there will be injuries. Oh, yeah. There always are, especially with the Red Wings defensive core. Do you know I, who else should start in the AHL this year? Hronik and Cholosky. Jonathan Erickson, moving on. <laughs> oh, you said AHL. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's all I had for... That's our Red Wings player profile and Red Wings prospect profile. Um, we're going to continue to do continue to do those throughout the season, or the offseason in leading up to the 2019-2020 uh, season, and of course leading up to our divisional previews and then Red Wings season preview. I'm getting ahead of myself here, though. We're just kicking off the offseason. Yeah, we're like two months away from the divisional previews. Oh my god, why? We don't have uh, quick hits, because that's all the hockey content for the week. So instead, uh, I'm going to head over to Patreon, where all of our patrons get their comments read out during overtime uh, as our way of saying thank you supporting the show and congrats to the u.s you spoiled sons of bitches did they uh win they do, they did the thing that's awesome um all right alex zuko says hey guys great content as always uh big thank you for keeping us going during the slowest part of the year sports wise my question is uh about who you think the resident enforcer will be with gritkowski gone 
Uh, <laughs> there shouldn't be one. Uh, jokes aside, I did appreciate having that element on the team the last two seasons. It probably should be Abdulkader, but I digress. Yeah, I can see why you appreciate it. It's just it's not necessary right now, especially when you're trying to figure out what your bottom six and top six look like. <clears throat> Uh, Evan Beckner says, hey, guys, so it's grilling steaks for my family over the 4th of July. Oh, happy belated 4th of July, everyone. Uh, over the 4th of July, my mom and wife asked for theirs with absolutely no pink in the middle. Oh, God. Uh, on an unrelated note, what's the best place to hide a couple of bodies? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about your pending divorce and estrangement from your mother. Um, Ugh. Andrew Dubio says, boys, we are officially in the offseason for the dub dub. I'm ready for the glorious content of which uh, way the toilet paper rolls, what comes after the pineapple for Evan. Best hockey news from the week has to go to Panarin for saying he'd rather <laughs> for he'd rather shit in his hands and clap rather than stay in Ohio. <laughs> he didn't say that. No, uh, I don't think he has the English for that. Uh, good day, Ro- or Rowan says, good day, dud duds. Hope you lot in the 51st state have a great 4th of July. No more positive talk about the evil no good abs, please. That Marner hack is still not signed by anyone. No idea why the least popular host constantly fawns over the guy excessively. I mean, it's not like he's hashtag German Litstrom. And on that topic, please note that Jake Nagy is now the Viz Kanzler of the hashtag German Litstrom fan club. Did Most- you say Viz Kanzler? Was that supposed to be Vice Chancellor? I think it's Vice Chancellor in German. Yeah, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Maybe. Let's look it up. Viz <laughs> Kanzler German. This is quality. Co- Vice Chancellor, yeah. There we go. Attaboy, Ron. You got it. You cultured son of a gun. Uh, motion was passed during the, the week. Gonna assume you've discussed Gusev. No, we have not discussed Gusev because we're dumb and we forgot. Oh, we did last week, though. We did last week, and yeah. nothing happened. We're ahead of the curve. Uh, and who the Habs are going to offer sheet next, but you've probably skipped over Stanley Cup champion slash outback Jesus, <laughs> a.k.a. Nathan Walker, being signed by St. Louis. Your anti-Australian agenda has gone on too long. Please discuss. A guy I play with was... Uh, so... Funny enough, if you went to those Canada, U.S., whatever hockey things they had in Australia, I didn't even know one of the guys I play with on my Sunday team was there playing for them, for Canada and that. I don't even see the Walker contract on Cap Friendly. Yeah, it's probably a minor league deal, if we're being honest. Mm. Uh, Cricket World Cup semifinals are set. India versus New Zealand and Australia versus England. Who are you picking to win each? India and Australia. I have New Zealand and Australia. Uh, given the conditions in England, would you prefer to win the toss or not? And if you did, would you prefer to bat first or field first? Uh, uh, win bat. the toss always, but field first, I'd say. Uh, I'd, I'd bat first. No, I uh, I bank on them making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Jersey time. Jersey Genie can hook you up again. Nordiques Fleur de Lis, Hartford Whalers, or Green and Red Hab Centennial Jersey. Choose wisely. Okay, so what am I, what are we doing? We're just picking our favorites? Yeah. It's the Whalers. It will be the Whalers unless they're up against the mid-90s Ducks. A Brendan Shanahan Hartford Whalers jersey, please and thank you. Uh, this comment proudly proudly brought to you by the Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, a Fournier company. Um, Adam Flett says, cricket bonus jersey time. What's the greatest one-day cricket jersey? Oh, I, uh, I'll i have to sit on that one. There's just so many good choices of all the days. Fat Pakistan. The, yeah, the, the, the orange ones. The orange Pakistani jerseys from their one-day... Cooking match. Joseph Fournier says, hey there, dudes. Love what Eisman has done so far. Stop gaps giving competition to younger players with minimal salary and term. It's almost as if Eisman is preparing for the expansion draft. GM's out there playing checkers while Stevie Y is playing chess. Seriously, what is Marner waiting for? Does this camp honestly think they'll get twelve million a $12 million offer sheet? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Or is he waiting for Dubas to clear cap? 
or is he waiting for someone outside, uh, an outside team to come knocking? Spoiler alert, it's not Detroit. I appreciate you guys more and more as I traverse the NHL Twitterverse. That kid on Twitter who listed his top 10 all-time defensemen without listing Lidstrom, Niedermeyer, or Harvey. Yeah, I'm just going to take a small side. Look, I'm not going to drag the person uh, or their official account. If you notice, I tweeted about it in general. Just some hockey account was tweeting out like top 10 lists. And they had Dominic Hasek as an honorable mention on their goalie list. <laughs> if he's not number one, he should be two or three. And that's the only argument I'll hear. And uh, their top ten defensemen had no Nicholas Lidstrom. Is there really a good case at this point for anybody other than Nicholas Lidstrom to be number two? You could, I could hear an argument for Ray Bork. I couldn't. They played. I, they I, played in the same era, and Lidstrom was the better defenseman by a lot. I won't. I, like I won't ever agree with it, but I can understand how someone's brain gets to that point. Bobby Orr changed the game. Nicholas Lidstrom perfected it. Someone's uh, Clay actually said it's like listing top ten astronauts of all time and saying Neil. Ar- you can't name put everyone on the list, and Neil Armstrong fans are butthurt over it. Anyone who puts out that list is not worth your time. I, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I saw the list, and there's a reason I didn't comment on it. I didn't because there's one of two things that's happening here. Either the less likely of the two is this person's hockey opinions are so bad, they're just not worth taking seriously. Or B, they're trying to get a rise out of everybody for attention, and by responding, you're giving it giving them what they want. Either option isn't good. I'm betting on it's just a troll job, because I really can't possibly justify how someone would have Lidstrom and Hashik outside of their top ten. Um, so, yeah, at that point, someone's just trolling for attention... Don't give them attention. It's like when Mika has a temper tantrum and runs to her room screaming. You know what I do? I leave her there. It's the same thing. Uh, she fell down like four steps today, and all of us were just like, ah, you're fine. In my <laughs> head, I'm like, that looks like I hurt. <laughs> Kids don't have pain receptors if you don't acknowledge it. Um, yeah, yeah. I just... The, the internet is free. Like, you can say anything you want on Twitter. Anyone can make a podcast, and you'll slowly learn... <laughs> <laughs> that is painfully true. Uh, continuing, he says, There are really some sheltered Melvins out there spewing random crap to get hits and likes by any means necessary. I'm not even going to name their podcast here. Go figure. Oh, yeah. This is that a was a podcast one. account? I think so. Oh, God. Should I feel bad for tearing that kid a new one on Twitter? No, man. Twitter's free. Do your thing. Don't be hateful and you're good. Uh, kind of don't. So thank you, thank you, thank you for maintaining your integrity and not shooting for the automatic hot takes. It's genuinely refreshing. Genuinely, that's really nice to hear. We appreciate it, Joseph. Like that's uh, we always try to keep it real. The only reason we don't have that many hot takes on this podcast is because Home Depot won't sponsor our segment <laughs> yet. We have the bell, Home Depot. Please. Uh, this comment proudly brought to you by the Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. Keep your cheddar better and rowing down under. You guys are getting weird. <laughs> getting weird. Yeah, you guys have been weird. Hey guys, I, you know what? You guys started off weird, and then I was like, as our fandom grows, maybe it'll normalize a little bit. No, it certainly has not. No, now they have cheering sections below them. <laughs> There's factions. I saw, I think blood has been spilt. <laughs> Stan Olsen says, hey, guys, hope all is well. Quick question. Did any of our staff go to the Oilers with Ken? Uh, I was really worried about losing Hakan Anderson. Also, is there anything more entertaining than the NBA offseason? Uh, to the latter question, no. Um, not, did anyone – no one big named. Maybe a couple – Staffers possibly, but yeah, nobody, nobody of note has went yet. There's been rumors flying around that some guys might go. I, I really hope Khan doesn't go. And what was the other one? Uh, is the NBA offseason the most entertaining thing? Yes. Yeah. Mark Burnham says, "Which one of you idiots asked Rick, uh, Rick Tochit, talk it, touch it, 
Talk it. Talk it. I realize I always read it and never say it out loud. Rick Tuckett, if a hot dog is a sandwich on spit and chicklets. Oh, that's Evan. <laughs> Love it. For those who didn't catch it, he said no. Thoughts on the demise of Coach's Corner? Uh, nothing's confirmed yet. Nothing's so. confirmed. It's it's become a game of broken telephone. Yeah. We will wait till it's official to comment. Nick Toyas, I know I'm still saying that wrong, says, How's it going, gents? So Helene St. James put out her projected wings in the Detroit Free Press today, and if you haven't seen them... Oh, I haven't seen them. Very terrifying. (laughs) To me, it seems like if those lines are what the wings go with, they'll finish dead last in the league. Is it a depth chart or are these projected lines? Yeah, those are two different things. Yeah, because like, yeah. Day one one roster is exciting to talk about, but I wouldn't put a terrible amount of stock into it. There's some different circumstances being considered there. The one Max put out is probably, I think, the closest we're going to get. Like, it's, it's got, what, one or two of the young guys breaking in, but that's it, but... Which is probably a rope. Between Zadina, Rasmussen, Valeno, and Hiroshi, I, I probably expect two of them. And Svechnikov included, I probably expect two of them to make the team, realistically. So, take that for what it's worth. Chris Canal uh, says... Oh, no. I didn't read the rest of it. To me, it seems like if those are lines... Those are lines the wings will go with they'll finish dead last in the league with that being said who is your second favorite team you'll be rooting for and why that team vegas chaos <laughs> yeah that's a real that's a real answer I, I there's other teams i like to see succeed i think the vegas experiment will cool i'll do the same for seattle it's yep. easier out west than it is in the east i'm not going to be on seattle like i am on vegas so i i have had so many trips to vegas and i've spent so much time there like the second that team was announced i'm like that's my western conference team you know what i love about las vegas everyone is like oh it's a tacky city you go there it is not tacky that city is amazing that old vegas like fremont street's a little tacky because it's old and that's the point they're trying to keep it like that but like the actual strip in vegas is like the swankiest place on earth outside of dubai it's awesome <laughs> like it's, everything's gold and free <laughs> yeah and expensive and massive people don't understand how big everything is in vegas the signs in front of the hotels and casinos are bigger than any building in kitchener <laughs> and like our region has half a million people so it's not like we're nothing here you could be standing in front of cosmo looking at mgm and it looks like it's a three minute walk away and then you realize it's a 25 minute walk yeah. it's if massive vegas genuinely has something for everyone my parents who are like you know they don't like to they're they're not big drinkers they're not big partiers like my dad will go throw 20 bucks in at the casino and that's pretty much it they loved it there it's really really cool has something for everyone i went there for a bachelor party and from what i remember it was awesome (laughs) uh chris cannell says hello gentlemen maybe evan and probably max want to get your guys' (laughs) opinion of my take on the cadre trade Yes, the Toronto. Yes, Toronto gets better on defense, but how much better? Tyson Berry isn't exactly stout in his own end, and it's not like the Leafs are hurting for offense from their blue line. They need more defensemen that can actually defend. I really feel like Berry is going to be torn apart, much like Zaitsev was after his first season. He was brought in as more of an offensive D-man, then all of a sudden was built to be uh, a build to everyone as a steady stay-at-home defensive stalwart. If you ask me, I think Colorado makes out like bandits in this deal. They get the 2C they desperately needed on a fantastic contract and don't lose an upcoming UFA for nothing. Remember before the Duchesne trade how we all thought Sackick was a bum for waiting on uh, so long to trade him? Oh, how the tables have turned. Anyways, thanks for the, all the quality content this season. Glad to see you guys finally starting to get the recognition you guys deserve. Really appreciate that, Chris. What recognition are we getting? Yeah, uh, this milestone that we're going to post. I've sent it to you. Yeah, no, I yeah. know. That's not really recognition, though. That's just kind of like a cool feat. We're getting up there. I mean, we're getting close to being able to say something pretty definitive about our size. Oh, no, yeah, it's cool. 
I think, we, I think we can say that now, but we'll wait a little bit. Anyways, like, um, it, will it happen this episode? How many do we need? How many? Listeners? Oh, that that what we're talking about, like yeah. the big announcement. It'll happen like by tomorrow. Oh, I'm posting that tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's actually a very good read on that trade. But there's one thing to consider. Um, Toronto's losing Jake Gardner, plain and simple. And d- despite Jake Gardner's hallmark moments as a Leaf being like pretty much losing games for them with one or two big mistakes um, at the worst times. I miss Brendan Smith, too. He's an excellent defenseman. He's an excellent defenseman, and they're going to miss his offensive output, output and production on the ice. So bringing in Tyson Berry to offset that is not a bad shot. Like if you look at who won the cup this year, Toronto right now, as they're built, assuming Marner science is a cup contender, you have to take your shot and you don't need three centers either. Like if your first two centers are superstar centers, like top five in the league, your third center does not need to be, um, the level of like a, a two C like Nazem Kadri was. Yeah, because if you get to like a critical game, like a game seven, and your two centermen are Austin Matthews and John Tavares, like any reasonable coach would just play them 30 minutes each and they never leave the ice. <laughs> Theme of Toronto's offseason, trade away all of Mike Babcock's toys. <laughs> Which they're doing. Which they're doing. So you replace Kadri with Kerfoot. It's a downgrade, but Kerfoot's a fine 3C who's still getting better. And played, they, in, played as a wing in Colorado, but is capable of playing center. And you bring in, you know, Barry on defense. <sighs> I, I like the deal for both sides. I Again, there's a lot of long-term success here for Colorado, but Toronto's not thinking long-term. Toronto is currently in their window. They're not approaching it. They don't need to make a couple more moves. They're in their window. They can get better on defense, but if that's not available, then it's not available. Pittsburgh won a cup with freaking who was it as their best defenseman? Me. They won the cup through pure offensive output. Toronto's going for the same model, and I don't blame them. And it's not like Tyson Berry is going to be asked to take on a big load with the Leafs. He's going to be their second pairing right shot defenseman because the Leafs also went out and acquired top pair right shooting defenseman Cody Cece to take that role for him. So, you know, he's fine. If Leafs fans don't think that Mike Babcock's not playing him or playing him like 20 minutes a night, they're there for a world to hurt. They just downgraded on Nikita Zaitsev, and he'll get more ice time. But they were—it was Nikita Zaitsev's contract that they were getting out of. I know, but it's so funny. But Ryan, we're getting twenty minutes of Cody CC at least. Uh, but no, Chris, your take isn't too far off. In in any case, Colorado does did do really well here. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, Gordy, how you doing? Who? Um, Thank you for bringing that beautiful picture of Steve Eisman's mop to the world. Um, said, what are your thoughts on the state of Svechnikov? The injury set him back pretty bad, so you can see him being able to come back and be effective. Or can you see him uh, be able to come back and be effective in Grand Rapids? Some people have him starting in Detroit. And if he has a good camp, if he has a good camp, but realistically, is that a good idea, given he's only playing a handful of games? Uh, he'll probably start in Grand Rapids. ACL injuries always suck. Will he be as good a skater as he was before? No, probably not. So from that standpoint, it's yeah, it's not good. But here's the positive. The strength of Svechnikov's game was never his skating. So could he still be an effective player even coming through the surgery? Yes, absolutely. Because he's still big. He's still strong. He's still got good hands and is a smart hockey player who can play off the cycle. So if he's a little bit slower than he was, yeah, it's not ideal. And I think it probably eliminates him as a real legitimate top six contender in Detroit. But could he be a good third line winger given his skill set and everything after the surgery? Yeah, absolutely is possible. 
He's going to have to train his ass off and a lot of things are going to have to go right for him. But it absolutely could happen. Yeah, you know what? I, I get the want for Sveshnikov to be something good. At this point, I think if another team really, really values him and sees that potential in him and is willing to value him, value him as a good prospect in a trade, I think that'd be the best use of him. But obviously, trade's never a likely route for a prospect. It's make or break for him this year in my mind. I think we're really going to know what we're going to get with Evgeny Svechnikov. But we're not going to know till at least midseason. Yeah, it's it's a tough break for him. I don't really see him doing much more than being a third-line guy. But at the same time, who knows? He could come back and with his full real chance in the NHL do a lot. It has to happen this season, though. I think the way to start him is in Grand Rapids. Again, same thing as I mentioned with Kasky. Push him up the depth chart, make him one of the first call-ups in case of injury. Um, and give him his shot and see what you have. And if he plays well, then yeah, you continue to, uh, to invest ice time and stock into him. But other than that, I'm not too keen on extending, not to say to give up on him completely, but I wouldn't really project him as a first round talent. No. And also if he goes down to Grand Rapids too, if you're Steve Eisman, you're giving the the coach in Grand Rapids, Ben Simon, some pretty pretty direct orders here. Hey, listen, you can coach whatever system you want, do whatever you want, but just understand that your first line in Grand Rapids playing 20 plus minutes a night is going to be Michael Rasmussen, Joe Valeno, and Evgeny Svechnikov. Okay, are we clear? Good. Uh, Steppa21 says, just started listening to the podcast during the build-up to the draft, and I love it, and you guys, hey, glad you're enjoying the show. I always like knowing when people started listening, so that's awesome. Uh, Who do you think could be the biggest surprise player to crack the lineup this fall? Ooh, that's a good question. Surprise player that could crack it. So it's not someone you're betting on, but has a reasonable chance. Kasky. Kasky could be a good one. Svechnikov. Svechnikov. Um, Joe Valeno. I don't even know if we'd consider him a surprise with how much people are hyping him up. I don't think he makes it, but I also don't think people will be surprised if he makes it. Um, Okay, okay. A a true legitimate surprise that I think's got a better shot than people are giving him credit for. Joe Higgins. Maybe, but if they've never done it up until now, why would they start? Isn't he still an RFA? He's further ahead than a lot of other prospects in the system, right? Does he so, need a contract right now? Yeah, but they did qual- send him a qualifying. Oh, okay. So he could he could decline it and go. they could go south. But if he if he ends up playing, yeah, because he's in his make or break year as well. I, I think he's going to be a career HLer at this point. He'll be the Brian Lashoff of the future. Yeah, there's a chance, but still. Yeah. But again, they asked for surprise. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have time for a Twitter question. Lars Thorzel says, hash, hashtag ask WWP. Uh, what does it say about our current set of veteran centers that they went and got Philpula? Sure, Athens see you back at the wing, but Glenn Denning and De La Rose, Helm, and Nielsen aren't enough Cs. All I can think is that they don't want, they didn't want wingers in the second line to lose the will to live. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty yeah, much it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have competency. If, for, if a guy's playing in the top six, or on your second or third line, like you need to have competent centers. You can't just stick anyone in there. You have to stop playing Helm and Glendening. And you know, I, I like what N and Dilla Rose bring to the bottom of the lineup, but not up there. So yeah, <laughs> debatable if you like what they bring to the bottom of the lineup. Cause I'd expect some offense, but cause remember we got so far down the depth chart with injuries that last season we saw top six forward, Jacob Della Rose. That absolutely should never happen. No matter how many players get injured. So, yeah, bringing Philpola in to play on that second line center or have Franz Nielsen there and that. Yeah, it's fine. I don't want Darren Helm playing center ever, ever again. I don't want Della Rose playing center ever again. I want that fourth line slot to be N 
or Glendening, and then when one of the centers above them gets injured, then one of them can go up and play center. Enough position jumbling and not knowing where guys are playing. Let's get them comfortable in their roles. Um, we are we announced already, but I just want to read out the name of our uh, giveaway winners for our six Winged Wheel podcast uh, shirts in honor of our uh, the Red Wings' six overall pick. So, uh, Red Wings fan four two eight. Flattus Maximus, Jay Prankert were the winners from our overall draw, which comprised of all the Twitter entries. And then uh, everyone who's a Patreon patron automatically gets entered. And then half automatically goes exclusively to Patreon supporters, so they get to double dip. Uh, Tim Henderson, Adam Cesars, and Jared Mello are our Patreon winners. So those are our six winners of the Winged Wheel Podcast t-shirt. Uh, check out wingedwheelpodcast.com and uh, go to, I think, the Support Us uh, tab to see uh, find our merch shop. And with that, we're going to sign off. Uh, it is a beautiful Sunday afternoon. We are going to go retrieve Evan from the lake and then get him prepared for next week's episode. Uh, and we would also like to thank our top-level Patreon uh, supporters, Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Don Mitchell, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Field, Stan Olson, Ryan Alon, Ryan Lewis, and Hannah. Thank you all so very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.